The question is, are you ready? This is The Drive with Josh Graham. Walking here. On Sports Hub Triad. The Tar Heels released their non-conference schedule. We'll get to that in just a few minutes. There are teams I'm willing to show sympathy for and listen to circumstances with if and when they struggle. Believe me, I'm an Orioles fan. What Trey Mancini did last night, coupled with Greensboro's Cedric Mullins starting in the All-Star game later tonight. Heck, I'll even throw John Means no-hitter. Those three things together is enough to satisfy me for the entire year as a Baltimore sports fan. The bar is miserably low for my birds. I am not interested, though, in hearing excuses for the USA basketball team. They are not one of those teams I want to hear excuses with. We're less than two weeks away from our Olympic opener, and Team USA is losing two games in three days. Last night to Australia. I'm now becoming concerned. And I don't want to hear about talent. They've got enough talent to win the gold medal. Certainly not to drop back-to-back exhibitions. That's not their biggest issue. I believe Team USA's primary problem is that Coach K is no longer their coach. Just consider this stat. Greg Popovich, since taking over for Coach K, who stopped coaching USA basketball after the gold medal win in 2016, three Olympics, three gold medals, has coached 14 games with Team USA. His record, 9-5. and five. Coach K, in his 11- or 12-year run as Team USA's basketball coach, 78-1. That's right. Greg Popovich has lost more games with Team USA basketball over the last four days than Coach K's lost his entire tenure as USA's basketball coach and never lost the year of an Olympic Games. There's no excuse to lose consecutive games with the American basketball logo on your jersey or on your polo. Other than Dame and KD, it didn't look like anybody was playing with a fire after losing to Nigeria, after getting embarrassed. It didn't look like they felt they were embarrassed. That comes down to coaching. There's too much you know, ISO, go one-on-one. It looked like an all-star game. That's the way Team USA played. That's the way they're playing under Greg Popovich. They didn't play that way under Coach K. Coach K, he was used to turnover every year and putting together rosters as you go and teaching guys who were used to playing one-on-one ISO ball in AAU and getting them to play together, even if it was just for one year. He was very good at that. Greg Popovich, not doing that right now. It's not to say, given how great of a coach he is, he can't get it figured out, but Coach K only lost one game as Team USA's basketball coach, and Popovich has lost two in in three days. I can't get past it. And Pop is taking it out on a reporter afterwards who understandably was asking, hey, why aren't we sounding alarm bells here? You're losing exhibition games right before the Olympics when we're used to watching Team USA crush everybody 
This is what Pop did when a reporter asked about it. Let me let me also answer that question. You know, you asked the same sort of question, the same family of question last time, uh, where you assume things that are not true. When you just mentioned, you know, blowing these teams out, that's never happened. So I don't know where you get that. So, can I finish? Can I finish? Can I finish my statement? He let him finish his statement. But it's not a good look for Pop. I know what you might be thinking. Josh, what about all these guys who decided not to play? LeBron, he's not playing for Team USA. James Harden, he's not a part of this team. Russell Westbrook, you could go all the way down the list. Anthony Davis, he's not playing for Team USA. All these great players, they're not playing. All those guys I just named were not a part of the 2016 Olympic team. Coach K didn't always have the most talented guys. If I put the 2016 Team USA starting five side-by-side side with the starting five we've seen the last two games from USA Basketball, I think they're very comparable. I really do. In 2016, that gold medal team had Kyrie, Clay, KD, Carmelo, DeMarcus Cousins. That's the five. This Team USA team, Dame Lillard, Bradley Beal, Jason Tatum, KD, Bam Adebayo. That's pretty comparable to me. I'd probably take the 2016 team in talent, but it's not that far off. It certainly doesn't represent enough of a difference for Team USA to lose two exhibitions right before the Olympics start, especially when you consider that Coach K, again, never lost in 2016 with Team USA, and they won all their games by an average of 22.5 points, including a 30-point win in the gold medal game against Serbia. USA basketball's issue is not talent. It's that Coach K is no longer the coach. And here's a question I have to make things a little bit more North Carolina-centric. Coach K is going to be leaving Duke in a year. Is Duke going to be facing this same problem? We're seeing USA basketball struggle right now. And if they don't win the gold medal, it'll be a catastrophe, just like 2004 was. And in between that, Coach K's tenure as USA's basketball coach. Could Duke be looking at something similar? 336-777-1600. This is why I believe John Shire has a greater task at Duke than Hubert Davis is taking on at North Carolina. Because with the Tar Heels, whether it be, if you want to go way back, Coach McGuire before Dean Smith, or Roy Williams, or even Bill Guthridge in his short tenure, we've seen coaches have great level of success in Chapel Hill other than Dean Smith, the greatest to ever coach at North Carolina. We haven't really seen that at Duke. Now, Coach Foster went to a Final Four before he left Durham for Coach K to get the job. There have been some pretty darn good teams. I mean, if you go through the 60s, you see Art Heyman, you see a lot of great guys who, who've played for the Blue Devils, there's no doubt, but they've never quite been at the level they were under Coach K. And... That's why I think it's such an unbelievable challenge John Shire's going to take on, and it's a little bit more unrealistic to think he can sustain the success that Duke's had under Coach K than asking a similar question with Hubert Davis and the Tar Heels. Speaking of North Carolina, 
We are starting to get non-conference basketball schedules. The Heels released theirs today. We should get Wake Forest, Duke, and NC State sometime soon. But one thing I always respected about Roy, he embraced scheduling difficult out-of-conference opponents. He didn't mind going on the road. Like If you look at just the last 10 years as a sample, opponents that North Carolina's faced, home and home with Gonzaga, home and homes with Kentucky. They used to play every single year. Stanford home and home, that relationship with Jared Haas. Texas, Michigan State, tons of examples. Home and away, going all these great, uh, playing all these great teams and doing so out of conference teams that you schedule. That's not what we're looking at with this non conference slate. Now, there are some pretty good teams on it, just not by North Carolina's doing. They have 11 non conference games, they scheduled seven of them. No control over the ACC Big Ten Challenge where they're going to be playing Michigan at home. The CBS Sports Classic is something that rotates. They're going to play UCLA. They might be the preseason number one team with Juzang coming back. They committed to this Thanksgiving tournament years in advance. So when you look at the schedule, seven of the 11 teams they're facing, it's not very difficult. In fact, I'd probably go as far to say, and I've gone year by year for the last 20 years, this is probably the easiest non-conference schedule North Carolina's put together since Bill Guthridge was the coach. You've got Elizabeth City State in an exhibition. North Carolina does that every year. The opener is going to be against Loyola, Maryland. Brown at the Smith Center at the College of Charleston. The Thanksgiving tournament is Purdue, Tennessee, Villanova. You're going to face either Tennessee or Villanova, depending on what happens in that Purdue game. Purdue might be a preseason top 10 team. UNC Asheville at the Smith Center, Michigan at the Smith Center, Elon, Coach Raggi's group going to be going to the Smith Center, Furman, that UCLA game, and how about this, Dustin Kearns fresh off, fresh off the uh, NCAA tournament appearance, App State's first since the year 2000, they're going to be playing in the Smith Center before ACC play begins, right before Christmas on December the 21st. It's a pretty easy schedule. In fact, it looks a lot like the schedule that North Carolina fans chided Coach K for for over a decade. Ah, you're never going to go on the road, as if Dean Smith ever went on the road in non-conference in the 90s. I'm not blaming North Carolina for it. I actually think it's really good for them, and specifically this team. You got a new head coach. Let's break them in, have some success before the start of ACC play. You got a lot of turnover on your roster, a lot of players coming in that are different, trying to build chemistry and put them together. The only true road game that the College of Charleston or that North Carolina's playing is at the College of Charleston. And they're also breaking in a new coach. Earl Grant's in the ACC had a lot of success. I think he was a longtime assistant for Brad Brownell at Clemson. Earl Grant's now the head coach at Boston College, replaced by former Wake assistant Pat Kelsey, who's done a lot of great work at Winthrop. That's the only true road game North Carolina is going to be playing out of conference. Call a break with the ACC Big Ten Challenge with Michigan coming to town. But it looks a lot like what we're used to seeing with Duke and what Duke's been criticized for across the country for the last 10, 15 years. Oh, you're not going to go on the road. Well, North Carolina isn't, and I think that's a good thing for them. This is a pretty manageable, easy non-conference schedule. I hope when Hubert becomes more ingrained, more years of experience, the roster has less turnover, that it's going to be, the, the, the out-of-conference schedules are going to look a lot more like the ones we've seen under Roy Williams. But year one for Hubert, not 
going to blame him all for that. Hayes Permar going to join us in a little over 15 minutes. So glad you're here on Twitter at WSJS Sports if you want in on today's show. You might have missed this, but Cam Newton finally told the truth that we all knew as we were seeing it happen about the end of his Panthers tenure. And you'll hear that next on The Drive. A man is a lunatic. Smells like a gym bag. The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. We'll play Skip or Plays with Hayes in just a bit. In 15 minutes, we'll do the Bachelorette Minute. A lot to update you on considering I was off last week. Am I right to assume that Dave Gorin didn't do the Bachelorette Minute last week, Robert? He did like a Bachelorette half a minute. Okay, so I guess there's not a heck of a lot that I need to cover there. Appreciate Dave Gorin for helping me out in that regard. Here's the news that I promised before we get to Hayes. NC State has a new mascot, and I'm talking about the live mascot that we've seen for the last handful of years. It started with Tuffy One, a live wolf, which I think is like a Tamascan puppy on the sideline, then became Tuffy Two. And earlier this morning, it was announced on its website and also social media, Tuffy Three is now a part of the mix. A new pup has been introduced to the NC State family, and here's what's kind of interesting about it. The Downey family in Raleigh, huge NC State fans, they were, they've housed Tuffy 1, Tuffy 2, and now Tuffy 3. They, they're breeders, and apparently, this is what's pretty cool, Tuffy 3 comes from that's a direct line. It's a descendant from Tuffy One. So that was introduced earlier today. And has us arriving at the obvious question for Hayes Permar, who I think is appropriately qualified to answer this question on Twitter at DHPIV from Sports Channel 8. Tuffy, live mascot on the sideline for NC State. Is that the best live mascot we've got? Like, in the state of North Carolina, at least. When you're hearing live mascots, does it get better than Tuffy? Tuffy 3, the latest edition, going to be on the sidelines for NC State. All right. If they're going to have to get, like, humanitarian about this and be like, at a time where we're even discussing that, like, two weeks ago it was a trending topic as to whether or not we should even have zoos, like animals in zoos, which I think we should, but like live, like this best live animal on the sideline mean the the closest to I real life. I didn't say animal. Like, I like, didn't say animal. I said live mascot because I'm including the shredded pirate named Steve that comes out at East Carolina football uh, games, right. and you also no, got the Tar Heel as well. The Tar Heel, the, the Ram, or the, the dude walking around in a suit? Are people walking the Ram? It's the Ram. It's the Ram. I was talking about the uh, Ram Ramses. Okay, all right, all right. No, no, no. You, to, to, your, to, to be fair, the guy that comes out looking like a actual pirate is very cool. That's very that's tough to top. The Ram is good. 
Although I feel like people, you know, kind of center in on like certain part of the Rams anatomy. You know what I'm talking about? His horns. Oh yeah. You know? Oh yeah. So um, obviously his, his horns. horns. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, you know, Tuffy is one of those things where it always feels like, look, you can't have a live wolf, so everything feels like it's kind of a substitute. That that's the way I've always felt about it. Like, and and I get it. Like, you can't have a live wolf. Just like maybe we shouldn't have live tigers and live bears, or maybe even live rams at this point. I don't know. But uh, I'm just curious why they're not going to use the uh, apparently hybrid wolf German shepherd that is loose in the triangle area. Have you heard about this one? The latest creatures in Raleigh to pop up? I don't know if that's part of the wolf pack mascot scheme, but uh, but, uh, in general I'm like, nah, make, make the coolest logo you can. And let's leave the live mascots to zoos and actual scientists. God, what is happening in the capital city when you got like wolves running around? You got the the last time we talked, it was the zebra cobra. And then I'm reading that there's a bear cub napping in a tree outside Rex Hospital in Raleigh. What the hell, Hayes? There's a bear up a tree. We got a spitting cobra. You, You know what it actually is? Here's the thing. About a year or so ago, people were finally like, okay, news stations, we can't just continue to get our clicks off of shark bites on the beach. There were probably like a half a dozen shark bites on the Carolina beaches this summer, but nobody's talked about them because beaches realized if we continue to pump that line, no one will come to our beaches. So let's stop that and let's look inland and let's look at wild creatures that might be popping up in Raleigh. There's probably a bear or two or snake loose every month or so in a city as big as Raleigh at this point. But it's summer. News is slow. We can't focus on the sharks and scare people away from the beaches. So we're going to scare up something in the capital city. And apparently it's snakes and now bears. I don't know what's happening. That's such a hot take. I think that warrants something. Yeah, that's that's red hot stuff. That's right. Let's you 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 work at the coast. You know what it's like. You uh-huh. cannot be on these sharks' clicks. They're so easy, <laughs> but also then they they serve to hurt you. It's like shooting yourself in the foot. You try to get these shark clicks, and then all of a sudden nobody's coming to the beach, and nobody's watching your summer news station at the beach. Hayes Perlars here. That I only watch in the summer. He's on Twitter at DHBIV from Sports Channel Light. Let's get into Skipper Plays with Hayes. Hayes Permar is somewhat of a renaissance man, an expert in the finer things, but he hangs his hat on music. Loves his God, and he's no friend of Satan. Feels like 06, getting busy with the sticks, been watching Big Mike and Lil Trick. I just need a Zion and someone he can dunk on. Today, Hayes will decide if this music is smash or trash, glows or blows. It's time for Skips or Plays with Hayes. Robert Walsh, what's the first song? Or actually, what is the theme in the first song this week? Uh, Since the Home Run Derby was up and a lot of people have been talking about what their walk-up songs would be, I picked some, uh, I guess, walk-up songs that have had the tread run off. And we're going to see if they are still appropriate walk-up songs. Hayes is also a PA announcer for the Carolina Mudcats, so he's heard a lot of walk-up music. What's the first one you got? That's the first place low A East Carolina Mudcats to you, Josh. Yeah, uh, shut Grant, up. Get out of here. Get out of here with that. Uh, the first one we're going to check out is Crazy Train and Ozzy Osbourne. 
The Patriots have had this as their entrance song for the last 20 plus years. And that's why I'm kind of bringing these up. Like, are these are they still okay to use, or should we branch yeah. out and find some new stuff? All right, so to Josh Graham's point, maybe I'm biased against this song for that specific reason that it's been the Patriots walk-up song. But it's not cool. It's not The Patriots aren't known for their walk-up song. If anything, they're known more for, like, coming out as a team that went that first time they were in the Super Bowl. So forget their walk-up song. But rule one of a walk-up song is you can't have a walk-up song that is likely to be played somewhere else in the programming of the minor league baseball game. And Crazy Train is definitely getting played somewhere else. Therefore, I skip it as a walk-up song, although I may actually go back on my own rule later. We'll see. Wow. Okay. So Hayes has one that he skips right out of the gate. Will he like the next one? Next one you've got is DMX and Party Up. Oh, wow. R.I.P. This one gets me really hyped. Can you do the dog noise that he does? I can never mimic that. I think he's yeah, asking if you, you're Hayes. D- if you're doing a DMX impersonation, you better bring it. And I cannot do one, and therefore I, I will not attempt one. I can't either. Robert um, looks confident. Not very confident. Okay. I am confident that if this was your walk-up song, though, that you would at least bring some energy. It might show up somewhere else in the broadcast or in the... The game, but I still think you'd have a little bit of energy. I, I'd look like Pete Alonzo last night, just bobbing my head, hitting bombs if this was my song. Hayes, this has to be a play, right? It's a 100% play. Like, it might make it into the, the, uh, the programming later, but not definite. But it's it's a definite play, especially as Josh Grant pointed out in RIP year. Like, more minor league and major league baseball players, frankly, should be using this as a walk-up. It's an all-timer. Um, it's it, it it will be a, a walk-up song fifty years from now. Mark my words on it. It's a great one. Party ups, awesome. One more from Robert Walsh. Uh, your last one is a classic. It's Wild Thing. Good mix on your part here, because we're all thinking about batters walking into the box. But everybody, when they hear this song, kind of like Mariana Rivera with Inner Sandman, you think about Charlie Sheen. You think about Vaughn coming out of right field in the bullpen for Cleveland. This is a good pull on your part. I don't know if it's a skipper plays. Hayes, what do you think? Man, it is tough. And you, you make a great point. Pitcher walk-up songs, actually, if, if you're in sync with the programming guys, like pitcher walk-up songs could be even longer. Like the trip from bullpen to mound is typically – longer than the trip from uh, on-deck circle to batting box, right? So I, I think that a song like that that allows you to get into it a little bit. However, I'm not sure, like, theater does the go out there and break a leg, you know, the sort of like, you don't wish someone luck, you wish them the opposite. I'm not sure if you work that in sports. I'm not sure if you want that going out there, calling yourself wild thing when you're trying to get it done in the clutch. So I'm actually giving this a skip. Wow. Great song. Great song. But I don't think it works the same way in sports as it does in theater, which we know that's a big part of skips and plays is theater stuff. So we don't do the break a leg in sports. We actually wish people good luck. You don't go out there saying wild things. It's your walk-up song. 
Hayes, go uh, go wrangle in that bear cub and chase some wolves around. We'll talk to you next week. Man, I'm going to try. Thank you, guys. Good to talk to you. There he goes. That's Hayes Permar, Sports Channel 8. Kind enough to spend the time as always. we got a lot to do today. Really do. Coming up, I'll tell you why I still expect Team USA to ultimately win gold at the Olympics in basketball. And I'll give you the latest on the Bachelorette. It's the Bachelorette Minute that we do each week. And it's all here on a Tuesday drive. What? 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 This is wrong. You shut up! You're on the drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. Vinny Del Negro going to join the show in 15 minutes. He checks a number of boxes today. Former NC State star, won an ACC championship with the Pack in the 80s. He is an NBA analyst for NBA TV. Coach Chris Paul, LA Clippers. I think he was his first coach with the Clippers. And this weekend, Vinny won the American Century Championship Celebrity Golf Tournament, beating out John Smoltz in a playoff. It was broadcast on NBC Sports, either that or the Golf Channel, one of the two. He won, and then after the fact, we learned how significant the win was for Vinny. This is a piece of the post-match, post-round interview. Uh, I lost my father this Wednesday, and uh, I wanted to play well for him. I thought of him the whole time. Every fairway, every shot, what he would tell me, toughen up, hit the shot. You're either good enough or not. Just hit it. And um, I stuck to my game plan. My my, my caddy, Dirk, who's been with me for years, uh, was fantastic. And this is from my dad, you know. Thought of him every shot, you know. He was such a, I wouldn't be here without him, you know, so. Winning this tournament, which means so so much to me, and um, performing well for him, can't tell you what it means. It's, it means the world to me. We'll talk about his win and his time with the Pack and coaching Chris Paul in the NBA Finals win. Vinny Del Negro joins us in about 10 to 15 minutes, but there's a Tar Heel basketball movement I want to get started here. And you don't have to be a Tar Heel basketball fan to get behind this. I I heard um friend of the show B dot on Jones Angels podcast a few months ago on the Carolina Insiders pod. And it made me smile because B dot loves the Tar Heels more than anybody knows. He used to be on this show all the time before he was told he can't be on this show anymore. And what I love so much about it is I I created this moniker of unofficial mascot for Tar Heel basketball, kind of offhand. I kind of winged it. And then it stuck, like nicknames generally do. But BDOT has took taken that and turned this into something bigger with what he's doing with the Heels house on Clubhouse and now Group Me. And it got him, it landed him because of this social media platform that he has on with the voice of the Tar Heels talking about him. And then they had this award ceremony on their podcast. And they said he was the best non-athlete interview that they've done the past year. 
and he gave this acceptance speech. And all I'm thinking, I'm smiling ear to ear for my friend BDOT because I know how much that means to him. But given how entertaining BDOT is, I think we can go even further than that. Basketball season, it's still a little ways away. But as things are starting to get back to normal, fans, we're going to be allowed to go to these games in full force. Fans are going to be allowed to go to the Joel Coliseum, the Smith Center, PNC Arena, and Cameron Indoor. Duke was one of the few places that didn't welcome even family at any point of last basketball season. So one thing we didn't get were midnight events, midnight madness type stuff at North Carolina for the last handful of years, as long as I can remember at least, they've had an event, Robert, right before the season starts where you get to meet the team as workouts are beginning called Late Night with Roy. Are you familiar with this? Uh, No, I've never watched it before. Yeah, so at the Smith Center, they'll... They'll bring it. It used to be when it was done at its best, it was Stuart Scott. Because he was a sports guy. We all know who Stuart Scott is. He wore the tar heels on his sleeve day in, day out when he was still with us. And he would just rile up the crowd because everybody in the crowd knew that the person who was doing this was one of them. Not only was he a tar heel, he was a super fan. Last year, they brought in a, or it would have been two years ago, they brought in like a USA women's soccer player, Ashlyn Harris, who went to North Carolina, great UNC soccer program that Anton Dorrance has run for a while, and they brought in Brooke Baldwin from CNN. Tar Heel fans for sure, celebrities, yes, but I doubt those two people, with all due respect to them, are following Tar Heel basketball recruiting and everything day in and day out. Like they're winning, they are living and dying on every single loss and every single win. I doubt that's what they're doing. And I know BDOT would do that. So, what I'm pushing for here and on social media, see if we can make this happen. Let's see if we can make it happen to get BDOT late night with Hubert, the host of that event, because it was at its best when it was Stuart Scott. BDOT, I think, could channel a lot of that because you knew when you watched Stu, not only was he a fan because he went there, he was a fan of the school, he knew his hoop. And I know BDOT knows his hoop as well. In fact, we're getting phone calls on this. 336-777-1600, the number. We need to get BDOT there and joining the show now because BDOT's not able to be on the show. As we mentioned, not allowed to be here. We're being joined by D-Bot in Greensboro. D-Bot, are you for the unofficial mascot of the Tar Heels, B-Dot, being the late night with Hubert Hose? Let me tell you something, Josh Graham. I am 100% all for B-Dot being the host for late night with Hubert. And I would just like to say, if I could speak on behalf of B-Dot, because I am D-Bot, yeah, you Let's kind of sound like it. Your name sounds pretty fam- similar, so I'll allow for you to speak yes. on behalf of B. Dot, D. Bot. Yes. Even though I am D. Bot, I think B. Dot would say, first of all, yeah, Josh Graham, I appreciate the moniker, the unofficial mascot of Sar Hill basketball. 
because I it, it fits B Dot. It fits him perfectly because he represents for the fans of Tar Heel basketball. And I would also like to say, someone who is on B Dot's Mount Rushmore of journalists was always Stu Scott. Not just because he brought that urban vibe to uh, uh, ESPN, but also because he's from the three three six. He's from Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Yeah. So not being able to meet Stu Scott, that definitely is something that, that hurts B-Dot. And I, as D-Bot, can say that on behalf of B-Dot. <laughs> B-Dot would be greatly appreciative if Tar Heel Nation would rally behind the movement of B-Dot to hosting late night. It would be, it, it would be Christmas in the Dean Dome. Because the, the other people that have been there, because I, as D-Bot, I have been to late night and seen the other hosts. Big shouts to the other hosts that have hosted late night, but they just, they're so cool. B-Dot doesn't give a damn about running around the Dean Dome sweating, making sure that each fan in there is having the time of their life. Yes, D-Bot is 100% for B-Dot hosting late night. All right. Thank you so much, D-Bot. I think that's something we can maybe get uh make happen i think this is something we can push for and it sounds like to me it would mean a ton to be dot it sounds like it it would mean the freaking world listen winning that party was a big deal for b dot being on the podcast was a big deal for b dot being on josh graham's show because he's not able to be on there anymore which is why d bot has to come and speak for him B-Dot, those were all great great moments in B-Dot's life. But let me let you know something. If B-Dot is awarded the, 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 the job and the responsibility and the accolade of hosting Late Night with Hubert Davis in his inaugural season, I, it, it, would, it would honestly, seriously, sincerely, it would be unmatched as far as events, as far as Tar Heel Nation could go with B-Dot. And that is, that is just honestly from the soul. And I would like to say thank you very much, Gosh Dram, and also thank you, Wabi Ross. I love both of you guys. There he goes. That is uh, D-Bot who loves us, and I think B-Dot's quite fond of us, too. I think so. I felt pretty confident that, uh, I feel pretty confident that B-Dot is fond of us, Robert, because he's going to be a groomsman in my wedding. B-Dot, not D-Bot from Greensboro. Appreciate the call from him. You didn't even invite D-Bot. I didn't invite D-Bot. I, I don't know D-Bot. Like, D-Bot just called the show, you know? He's cool with B-Dot. He is. He is cool with B-Dot. And that's why we allow for him to speak on the show. We should let him come to the wedding, too. You can be my plus one. <laughs> Who is behind this? It also needs, like, a good hashtag. What would the hashtag be? See, weddings need a good hashtag. We've talked about that before. But what would be the... Huh. I think dot for late night. Not bad. We can think on this, and you can help us out at WSJS Sports. Let's try to make this happen because what watching him soar into the sun as the unofficial mascot of Tar Heel basketball and getting more and more opportunities, it's one of the greatest thrills of my life. It's so much fun to watch. So I hope it continues to happen. Another thrill was watching Vinny Del Negro win this weekend on the golf course. You heard how much it meant to him a short while ago. Stand out at NC State. 
didn't know until this weekend. He's pretty good at golf. Coach Chris Paul with the Clippers, of course. We'll talk hoops and some golf with Vinny Del Negro next. What's up? What's up? What none of you wants to admit is that the kid is good. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. I joked yesterday that Vinny Del Negro won his second ACC championship on Sunday. Of course, he won with the pack back in the 80s. NBA TV analyst. Perhaps we can get to Chris Paul in the NBA Finals a little bit later on in this conversation as Vinny joins us now. But on Sunday, it was probably the coolest story this weekend. He won the American Century Championship Celebrity Golf Tournament. It was extra holes with John Smoltz. He's the first basketball player to ever win this celebrity tournament. But what made it more meaningful and attract a lot more eyeballs across the country was his post-round interview where we learned that Vinny's dad passed away about a week ago. And every shot, every walk, he said he was thinking about his dad, understandably so. Vinny, really do appreciate the time. Ever since Sunday, reflecting on what you did and the passing of your dad as well last week, how much meaning do you extract from your performance? Well, you know, it's such a meaningful tournament that I've been playing in for years and, and just kind of the circumstances. Um, but it was just, uh, just try to stay kind of in my own little mindset, kind of execute the shots and, and just kind of play smart golf. Um, you know, we're all very competitive guys. We want to play well. And I thought I kept my emotions in check as best I could and, until Jimmy Roberts interviewed me after the playoff. But, um, you know, so many tremendous players, so many great people, American Century, NBC are just first class, and Jonathan Thomas and John Miller and Gary Quinn um, are just incredible ambassadors for the event, and uh, it's it's really kind of as good as it gets for uh, us former athletes, actors um, that love uh, to play competitive golf. Was golf a distraction for you this past weekend, or was that even possible? Yeah, I think it was. I mean, you know, um, in a way, I, I think it really was. Um, just trying to, you know, walk the fairways and just trying to, you know, be smart and just trying to get in my own kind of mindset and just trying to, own, you know, figure things out as best I could. Um, but, you know, it's just kind of a shot at a time. There's, there's a lot of golf to it, um, a lot of pressure situations. But, you know, I enjoy those things. Vinny Del Negro with us here on WSJS Sports. Your college coach was the legendary Jimmy V, and like your college coach, you are an Italian-American. I think you even won an Italian basketball championship way back when. Um, So you're playing on Sunday. You're winning this championship. Was there even some portion of your family that might have been distracted elsewhere watching the Italian team win the Euros? (laughs) Probably, yeah. Probably, for sure. But... uh... You know, Italians are very loyal, so uh, believe me, I've got so many messages and things from family and friends and everything, but um, just happy, you know, it worked out the way it did. John Smolch is an incredible golfer. Obviously, we know his Hall of Fame baseball career. He's a good friend. He's a first-class guy, and the way he handled everything just kind of shows you what a great guy he is. You know, Jack Wagner 
played a lot with him. I had a practice round with Annika Sorenstein, which was which was a great honor for me. Um, she's such an incredible person, and her, her husband Mike was on the caddying for and things. But so many great players, you know, Tony uh, Romo, and he's won it before, and he made a push at the end. So, like I said, I was just uh, trying to hit each shot, and I was fortunate. Um, hit some good drives on 18 in regulation and in the playoff, which put me, put me in really good position. When did you pick up the game of golf? Was it before or after you were at NC State? Oh, well, after I didn't start playing golf till I was about 28 years old. Um, I was I used to play a lot of tennis in the summer, you know, when uh, my NBA career playing. And I love tennis. My wife, Lynn, uh, who I met at NC State, uh, we've been married. You know, we had our 30th wedding anniversary this past June 15th. And her family used to play a lot of tennis. So in the summer, I just played a ton of tennis. And uh, after a while, my knees kind of just, as my career went on, I got a little bit older and more wear and tear. I just had to get away from tennis and kind of golf a buddy of mine was playing and uh i was a switch you know i do everything right-handed i was a switch hitter in baseball growing up and lefty was my power and he was actually a left-handed golfer so i was just driving on the golf course with him and he said hit a few balls and i enjoyed it and i said well i can't play tennis anymore let me start playing golf and i went in and i called ping and they sent me some clubs and that was kind of it it was really more of a physical thing for me how i got into golf um because I really enjoyed tennis, and so my, my knees and my career, you know, I was fortunate to play a long time, and I just wanted to, I didn't want the wear and tear of the hard surfaces and things on my knees. Vinny Del Negro here. While we got you here, before we let you go, here in the triad, there's nobody that's more beloved, I think, than Chris Paul, who obviously is from Winston-Salem, went to Wake Forest, and you were his first NBA coach with the L.A. Clippers, even as we've seen him age and age so gracefully as a point guard, is there something you can point to specific that maybe we're not privy to on the outside that explains why every single team he goes to is better when he joins it? Well, he makes the game easier for everybody with his with his ability to think through the process of the game. So other than the talent, it's the mindset that Chris brings, I think, um, you know, we can talk about talent and things like that, but I just think his ability to make everybody, he takes pressure off of everybody um, from the coach on down. So, um, you know, getting guys easy baskets, taking control of end-of-quarter situations, end-of-game, whether they work out or not, um, I think there's, you know, a handful of guys or so that really want those situations, whether they turn out the way they want or, you know, they missed a shot or whatever. It's really... You know, so so Chris, I think, has the ability to do that. I think um, I know he did it in L.A., and he's done it, like you said, on every stop, and Phoenix is in a great position. They're, they're not going to be given the championship. They're going to have to earn it. Um, you know, Milwaukee played well in game three, but adjustments will be made. But, you know, uh, Chris has, has played at a high level for a long time. The game now isn't nearly as physical and things of that nature, so the the style of the game, I think, helps a lot of these players these days. But you still have to make the plays. You still have to be healthy. You still have to run up and down, make good decisions, and um, you know, and, and keep that aggressiveness um, to be ready to play. When you guys, Chris has done that consistently over a long period of time. When you guys were together, did NC State Wake Forest conversation ever come up? Well, we all, you know, it's interesting. You know, we we all, all of us are, yeah, we always want our schools, but. I think all, there's all, so much mutual respect, you know, I, you know, whether it was Carolina, Duke, Wake, Virginia, it didn't matter. You know, there's, there's so many different players in different sports that 
in all these uh, events or charity things or just traveling or different things we do for the universities or whatever, um, you know, we, we all want each other to do well. We just want to do a little bit better for our school. But, um, you know, NC State was just out here for the national championship for golf. So I went to dinner with the golf coach and the golf team and went out to Greyhawk and watched them perform and just trying to be as supportive as possible. But at the end of the day, it's all about competition and what you can learn from it both good and bad, and uh, being able to, uh, you know, perform at the highest level in the biggest moments is, is what everyone strives to do. Vinny, thank you so much for the time. We look forward to seeing your stuff. NBA TV analyst Vinny Del Negro, no former NC State Wolfpacker, and congratulations on the win this past weekend. I know you inspired a lot of people with what you did. Well, I appreciate it, and uh, hi to all the Wolfpackers out there. Uh, all the best to the NC State uh, Go Pack, and uh, appreciate the time, guys. You got it. Benny Del Negro, kind enough to join us on WSJS Sports. Forgot to ask him about USA Basketball. We'll get to that in a, uh, about five minutes. But another headline dropped earlier today. Shams reported this on The Athletic that the Sixers have officially opened up trade conversations surrounding Ben Simmons. They have engaged with teams. It started. And Robert, what I find most interesting from this report, I think we all expected this would happen. Philadelphia, pretty clearly in this report, is seeking an all-star caliber player in exchange for Ben Simmons, which tells me Golden State, who we've been talking about, probably out. I don't think Andrew Wiggins would be in that type of consideration. So it doesn't seem like what they're going to value is accruing just a ton of draft picks. It might even rule out a team, say, like Oklahoma City, for example. The two teams, based on reading Shams' report, the two teams I think you keep a really close eye on now, Portland and Washington. Those are the two teams because Russell Westbrook's this high-volume player you can have in place. You don't have to worry about shots being taken away from him with Ben Simmons, but that's a lot of a lot of inefficient shooting, let's say, on that roster, if that were the case. I don't know how much interest there would be in a Beal-Ben Simmons deal, so I, I don't think that's the best option. Chicago makes some sense. Maybe Zach Levine could be included. I don't know. That's a team that I would keep a really close eye on. Portland's probably the best example because we don't know what's happening with Dame Lowered right now. Some of these reports, it's pretty ominous. Chris Haynes, he covered Portland for a really long time before becoming a national writer for Yahoo and for Turner. It's interesting when he's reporting things about Dame because I know there's a relationship there. And... They also have C.J. McCollum, who is an all-star caliber talent. If it was the Eastern Conference, Robert, if C.J. played in the Eastern Conference, I think that guy's an all-star year in, year out. And that could be a good fit. They need some shooting to go along with Joel Embiid and Tobias Harris. So that, that would make some sense to me if I'm Portland. Maybe bringing in Ben Simmons. Is that an upgrade over C.J.? I don't know. But that report, those are the teams that come to mind first. Is there anybody I'm missing? 
Uh, I think the Spurs would be a, a nice match. DeMar DeRozan? With, uh, I don't even know if it's DeRozan because like, they've made both their point guards available. Uh, I don't know if DeRozan I, – I, when I think of DeRozan, I think of like a shooting guard Westbrook, somebody who's inefficient, needs a lot of shots, can't really mm-hmm. take threes. If I were them, I would probably t- t- take a look at uh, Jakob Podol Take a look at. Oh, I love Jakob Pertl. And just getting him off the bench and t- taking something off of Embiid. The dude led the league in blocks the last two years, or blocks per game, I think. Could he be an All Star? Uh, he uh, he could be. I don't know if playing at the same time as Embiid. But yeah. then you get like Deontay. Uh, God, what's the, his last name? Uh, Murray. Deontay Murray. Oh yeah, you he had a wonderful year. A Deontay serviceable Murray. point guard. Get some picks. The Spurs pick in the teens. I mean, it's not like a lottery pick or anything. But Murray's an interesting one. That's to consider, but I think it would make a lot of sense because Ben Simmons, it, despite what he does offensively, is an All Pro defensively, and I think Pop, if anybody would be able to get that to work, I think Pop would. Oh, get and it to also work. moving the basketball around, like it's Ben Simmons. That would be a wonderful location for him to go to. It's all about what you get in exchange. If it's DeRozan, I think yes, yeah, slam dunk. Murray's an interesting deal because I still feel like he's years away from probably getting to where you need him to be if you want to contend, and that's what Philadelphia seems like they want to do right now. So they do have a that, lot that's of an shooters, interesting team. I so think, as long as he's a distributor, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, Philly, if, especially if you got DeRozan. I, I don't know if Philly has enough shooters. I, I mean, think they, that's been a problem because they they were really relying on Maxi, and they were really relying on guys that you just start looking at it. Well, if, if you're wanting Danny Green and – Maxi to be taking your biggest shots in playoff games. That's probably not the best situation. Not those guys, but the Tobias Harris's, the Embiid's. I don't know if you get Seth Curry back. He probably signed somewhere else. I guess I'm talking specifically about three-point shooting. And yes, I forgot about Seth. Seth's probably the best example. That that was their go-to score. And if that's your best three-point threat on the roster, that's a problem. But San Antonio, that's a really good team to, to think about now. I'll definitely add them to the mix. It's underway. The Ben Simmons sweepstakes teams looking to try and land them. So USA Basketball, as I mentioned, they lost last night. And everybody wants to talk about the talent. Oh, the guys who opted out, this is bad. They didn't want to play for USA Basketball. That's all they want to talk about, the talent. I think that ignores the source of the issue, though. I'll tell you what that biggest problem is next on The Drive. You talk like a crazy person. You have sexually transmitted crazy mouth. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. Uh-huh, honey. So do I have it right, Robert, that you're out on Tuffy 3, the new NC State mascot, because you're uncomfortable with some of the possible breeding methods with Tuffy 1 and there being a direct descendants from Tuffy 1 to Tuffy 3? Yeah, you got it right. I, I think if NC State would have just thought a little broader, maybe uh, adopted or found like a, a guy, a, a, a wolf look-alike puppy, uh-huh. that would have worked for me. But since they went to a breeder, I, I think I'm out. Before we get to Major League Baseball with somebody who's one of the voices we hear on Fox's Major League Baseball coverage, also broadcast in the NBA for the Chicago Bulls on television. Adam Amin joining us. You are uniquely qualified, I think, to talk live mascots because of your time covering college football and 
college basketball. I mean, you run into... I think you actually had a video a few months ago where you were on a Zoom call with all the different dog mascots there are in college sports. So when you think live mascots, what's the first thing that comes to the top of your head? I I mean, this is going to be incredibly biased, but we did so many UConn basketball games, men's and women's, that I grew up quite the affinity for Jonathan the Husky and they're a great live mascots. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I'd like to consider myself close friends, confidant of perhaps one Butler blue at <laughs> Butler, obviously phenomenal bulldog. Uh, I'm not quite acquainted with like Bevo or Ugga as much, but like Jonathan, the Husky Butler blue, like these, these are right up my alley. I know I've seen you at an East Carolina football game. I say live mascot instead of animal because you've got the the yoked, shredded pirate man, Steve the Pirate, who's jacked when he comes out of the uh, entrance at ECU while Purple Haze is playing. You've got the Ram, the live Ram Ramseys at Tar Heel Games and Tuffy at NC State. I can't think of any other live mascots here in the state of North Carolina, but limiting it that uh, limiting it to those three... Which of those do you think is the best? Oh, man. See, this is where like these philosophical discussions go. <laughs> All right, let's start from the top. Let's, you, you get, name the first one and we'll go. All right, we've that. got Steve the Pirate, who I actually saw behind the scenes. He is just pumping iron right before he's about to walk out. So when he walks out with the sword and all, shirtless and everything, he is peak shredded. Now is this is this for show? Like is this like right before competition? Yes. Where you're just like in the back oiling yourself up and 100%. Doing squats and push-ups. Okay, so that's that. He's right, you know, I my brother used to competitive bodybuild. Here's a little trick. They would chug a, a can of Coca-Cola right before competition. Oh. that would kind of dehydrate you a little bit. You'd have to dehydrate. Basically, you'd remove all salt. You only drink like distilled water for like a day before the competition because you're trying to dry out because then you get cut. And then you drink a can of Coca-Cola right before it kind of gives you the sugar rush and it pumps your pumps pumps your veins. Up I heard Pete Alonzo did that last night. Huge, massive polar bear. They all do that. And they got polar bear, Coca-Cola. Like these are the, you know, it's all a full circle X-Files <laughs> conspiracy theory. So I, I feel like Steve's a little bit for the show, right? Let's go to number two. What do we got? Okay, we've got Tuffy 3 that right now is a pup, but uh, it's he's a direct descendant from the previous... Uh, wolves that they have, which aren't actually wolves. It's more of like a a husky dog. I mean, I like Tuffy. I've never had an issue with Tuffy, and 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 Tuffy the third is is pretty darn cute based on the photo I've seen. Cute Not tuff. gonna intimidate me fully just yet. Outside of like an ironic context, you know, like oh you're so tough, you know, and then and then he'll like nip at your hand or whatever. So not fully sold just yet. Where are we going, number three? You got Ramsey, which is an actual ram that most people pay attention to on social media because they there's a feature on the ram that there's a pair of them, particularly large. I'm, of course, talking about his horns. Ball game. It's a ball game right there. It's not even close. <laughs> it's Ram. Who are you going to Who are you going to challenge? Of those three, who are you worried about a challenge from? It's the Ram. I'm not worried. Steve, I'll talk down. 
You know, like we'll settle things out. We'll use our words like 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 men do. And and then, you know, the, I'm not going to can't get mad at, at Tuffy the third. I'm not going to be upset at him. I'm going to be upset at, 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 at this little pub. Number three. That's, that's, that's the winner right there. Adam Amin's on Twitter at Adam Amin. He's only going to be on Twitter for the next two years. So a year from now is going to be his farewell ride like Coach K. Uh, kind enough to join us here. Uh-huh. Uh, what part, so since you are in big league clubhouses and you're following things day to day, what part of the Shohei Otani story have you enjoyed most following it as somebody who covers the sport? It's a sport, as you know, based off of com- comparison and, and contrasting and parallels and connectivity, you know, going back eras. And to truly see the first iteration of a Babe Ruth since Babe Ruth, truly a two-way player that does impressive things in both disciplines, you know, certainly more so offensively than pitching, but you can appreciate a 360 RA pretty, you know, three and a half ERA in this day and age, pretty darn good. So I think to have a true iteration of that, when we haven't talked about that for, you know, seven or eight decades, essentially, that's a big deal. Anytime you can reach that far back into the past of a game that's been played for the most part about the same in terms of the rules, obviously the the physicality has changed and, and what guys are capable of, but I think having that, I think having somebody that really appeals to a lot of people, there's a lot of reason to get behind this guy. Now, there's a philosophy in broadcasting in, in particular that when done right is great, and when you luck out, it's great. It's the sense of humanizing before you analyze somebody, right? Humanize a person before you analyze them. Like, what connectivity does this person have? That's hard to do in the middle of a game setting or in the middle of a season when you're only seeing somebody in bits and pieces. So I think this week in particular is the first time that people will really get a sense for who this guy is. And that excites me because I think there's a lot of intrigue behind who this person is. It's the same thing I say about somebody like a Jacob deGrom who's the best pitcher on the planet right now, yet we don't really feel like we know much about him, yet his play is so marketable and is so intriguing in and of itself that you can't help but to turn this person into a focal point whenever you get the opportunity. So I think that's what we have with Shohei, somebody who kind of kind of is more comfortable with or maybe embraces this stage more so than a player like a DeGrom. Is what Shohei's doing sustainable over a career? I don't think so, necessarily. I think there's it's just a lot of wear and tear, and and at some point you hope you hope that this player will be playing in games that have higher stakes, which means higher leverage and higher stress, and that puts a lot into the body, and that that takes a lot out of it. So at some point, this guy I hope is going to be in a playoff game in a playoff series, and and the deeper you get into a regular season where clearly there are playoff prospects in your future, the more wear and tear it's going to take. And I'm not automatically assuming injury. I'm just saying effectiveness may be, may, may diminish at some point. And, and this is the point that the Brian Kenny's of the world are making. Brian Kenny and Joel Sherman had a really spirited debate last week about this. And Brian Kenny was saying like, 
look, Babe Ruth flourished offensively when he stopped focusing on pitching and just focused on offense. And Joel Sherman saying, well, this guy's flourishing in both right now, so why would you change anything? And I, I certainly side with Sherman more, but I understand the, 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 the premise of what Brian Kenny is saying. I agree in the sense that it may not be sustainable for a long period of time. Now is not, in my estimation, now is not even remotely close to the time where you pull the plug on one or the other. Because that the piece that you note there, referencing that conversation, is I think what's lost when people make the Babe Ruth comparison because he did not really pitch for the New York Yankees. I think there's maybe like a couple of starts in there. He was a dominant pitcher with the Boston Red Sox and a pretty good power hitter, but not an otherworldly power hitter until he arrived in the Bronx. So if that's, I think, the bigger question moving forward, and I'm glad it's something that people are already starting to discuss. Adam Amin's with us here, Fox Sports, also voice of the Chicago Bulls on TV. So it's a two-games-to-one series in the NBA Finals. You, Milwaukee will host tomorrow night, try to even things up. I The old adage I always heard is, when you play on the road in playoff games, it's the stars that show up. You rarely see the role players do so. Last night, or two nights ago, was the inverse of that, where Cam Johnson and Jay Crowder were two of the best players that Phoenix had, and DeAndre Ayton got in foul trouble, Chris Paul couldn't get the 20, and he had four turnovers in a game. And, and of course, Devin Booker was 3 of 14 with only 10 points scored. Ah, I I don't know if that's a good sign for Milwaukee, and I don't think Chris Middleton is going to have a lot of success in this series, considering the bodies and the wings that Phoenix can throw at him. What do you think the difference is going to be the rest of the way here? I don't know how much you can lean on the Pat Connaughton's of your of your roster right now. You know, it's I, I the, the the old adage is hold true when they hold true. I think for these two teams in particular, the comparison goes to Phoenix in terms of depth, and that's the one thing where people you know I don't I don't if you haven't watched a lot of Phoenix and we saw them maybe three or four times. I saw I saw them in the bubble last year, but I, this year three or four times, and I always got the sense that the reason they could make a deeper run, the reason they got up to the number two seed, is because the depth of this team has been fairly consistent all year. Their starters have been healthy for the most part. Booker hasn't missed much time, nor has Chris Paul. And even you know, with the COVID issue, like the, for the most part, Paul's been in that lineup. So you look at their net bench rating, it's been top five all year. It's been number one most of the season. And... That's been the hallmark of a lot of championship-level teams the last several years. The Warriors had a lot of depth in their title runs. LeBron carried a lot of what Cleveland did, but Kyrie was there, and there was depth off that bench as well. You know, the J.R. Smiths of the world had big games in those 20, in that 2016 Finals. Uh, Toronto, a couple of seasons ago, as deep of a team as there is in the NBA So you know, at the time. So the depth isn't surprising to me for Phoenix, and I think – everything you said about Middleton is agreeable. I think when you are at home, you hope that your role players do have more consistent games. And I'm not uh, diminishing Chris Middleton to strictly a role player. He's obviously played a key role in this series and one of the two wins, but, or in one of the victories, I should say, but all of that being said, Milwaukee's lack of depth does scare me. And I think Phoenix can get contributions in a fashion that Milwaukee can't from let's call them their eighth and ninth guys off the bench. Adam Amin, I hope you don't run into Tuffy or Steve the Pirate in these mean streets 
uh, the next few weeks or the next few months. They, they, they're not going to forget this. Uh, appreciate the time in the meantime, though, and I hope you're doing well, my friend. Same to you, buddy. There you go. That's Adam Amin. Fox Sports, kind enough to join us. Watch him on Major League Baseball broadcast. Uh, he, he's not going to be on the call tonight. Joe Buck's going to be doing the game. But um, do you agree with Adam's assessment there that it's Ramsey's and his big horns making the difference here versus Tuffy 3 and also Steve the Pirate? the live pirate mascot that they have in Greenville. And I've just been thinking for the life of me, I've been to Halton Arena in Charlotte. Of course, you go up the mountain in Boone, Duke Games, Wake Forest. There are no live mascots I can think of at any of those places. So this really feels like the three here, Robert. Yeah, and I give UNC a lot of guff, but having an actual Ram is pretty cool. It's a big-ass uh, Ram, though. I mean, it's a cool Ram. Um, I, it's just really hard for me not to give it to an actual pirate because, like, you could, like Adam Amin said, you could talk it out with your words, but like, if you see this guy, he wears mascara and yes, like a, a a hat sash. I don't know what you're a head sash, but we need to. If I'm gonna argue a bit, you're saying an actual pirate. I've actually gone out drinking with this Steve the pirate, and he he doesn't own any boats. Let's say. This guy's not riding the waters of eastern North Carolina. Well, so, pirates don't have to own boats. They use other people's boats. They right. take other people's stuff. I got you. I don't think he was stealing other people's stuff. He's He is a real pirate the same way that Tuffy 3 is a real wolf. Sure. In the same way that uh, the, the mascot is a ram. I'm pretty sure it's a type of sheep, like a ewe. Is it not a ram? I, I, I'll do some research, but I severely doubt that we can call this thing. <laughs> you can call a male sheep a ram. It's like when people, this is just a pet peeve I have with so many people, uh, App State ECU, you guys are guilty of this. The black and gold, the purple and gold, that's yellow. Just because it doesn't sound as cool to say yellow versus gold doesn't mean you could just lie to our faces. Oh, that's yellow. Or that's gold. No, it's not. I know what yellow looks like. It's what it is. Like, There's okay. a difference between the colors. ECU does use a gold in some cases. The only problem is nobody buys just the ECU gear. Like, it's gear that's made by non-affiliated whatever. So you get all these yellows or not the real golds. But the color on ECU's uh, uniforms right now is gold. Is it more expensive to print gold than yellow it's just a color i mean it's just a mix you know what i mean like they're all numbers on that big color chart anyway like 114 red 113 blue 160 green and that makes doo-doo brown you will a different color you will blow my mind if you find that it's not in fact a real ram on the tar heel sidelines because that thing there are a lot of features on that thing that is noteworthy, Ramsey's. But uh, I've always just assumed that is a ram, and that might be due to lack of knowledge between what's a ram versus what's a sheep. Maybe I am a sheep in this instance, and just assuming that it's a ram. Well, that's what a ram. That's what I told you. A ram is a male sheep. That's okay. all it is, and a ewe is a female sheep. Okay. I'm learning these things now. Just like when we discussed the difference between a panther and a jaguar, 
almost on an annual basis, and I'm still confused by it. Puzzled. So it is a ram. Yes? I got to see some pictures. I'm looking for the pictures of this. What? So, what if, it's, dig, so if it's male, it's a ram? Correct, yeah. Well, it's a, it's definitely a ram then, because there's a there's a feature on I, the ram. We get it. We're talking. You've, we've done this all day. We're talking about it, these cojones, the stuff in between his legs. We get it. Oh, we're talking about the horns, I thought. No, it's not the horns. Okay. We get it. We've made the joke about 45 times. He has big old ram things. <laughs> Plums? I don't dig that they paint his horns blue. You don't like that? No, because, like, come on. We get it. Oh, there's a random... Sh- there's a ram on the... Oh, no, excuse me. That's Ramsey's. Oh, it's I, not, it's I didn't not. spot the blue horns. I <laughs> thought it was just we, another ram. We don't have it in a jersey, so maybe it's rooting for the wolf pack. Yeah, like, oops, we know what a ram is to a wolf. It's a flip-flopper. <laughs> not really a fan of UNC. Like, okay, we don't have to paint the horns. It's okay. Can you paint it off, or can you wash it off? That's what I'm. I'm sure you can, but it's like the same thing where they have like that animal spray paint. Like it's like, oh, this is safe to paint your pets. Like I, I don't think they like that. I, I, I'm just taking a guess. I don't think they like that. Yeah, they're probably not in love with that. 